We've all got our inner demons. Mine has an affinity for overeating. Food is my love language and my comfort. And when my inner demon is raging, all I want is junk to eat. On election day, I walked to the store and got five bags of chips, a box of Cheez-Its and a bag of cookies and sat in front of the TV and ate them all with my wife. It helped. I really think it did. And when I get down about things, all I want to do is eat. It's hard to avoid it this time of year, not just with the holidays and the cold weather, but for me, it's the darkness. I get seasonal depression, which I find laughable at times, but, but only because my favorite seasons are fall and winter. I love the fall leaves, wearing jackets, waking up to a cold house and putting on slippers. I love the snow and the ice, how everyone seems to be a little bit nicer during the holidays. But the one thing I don't like at all is the lack of sunlight. It's the single most triggering thing for my demon. So I wake up the moment the sun starts to peek through and I start my day taking advantage of every second of light. I'm up around six. It's still dark then, but I set the coffee machine, I take a shower, and by the time I have a book in my hands or my computer, the sun is up. All sounds perfect, right? But the problem is work ends for me around five and at that point, it's already dark outside. And that makes me feel like all the opportunities are gone. I start to feel tired, unmotivated, sometimes even physically sick. And then to make up for it, I want pizza or a burger or a burrito and lots of fries to make me feel better. And you know how it goes. I make the one decision to break my routine and then the next time it becomes a little bit easier and then a little easier and then I'm on a week-long bender and the junk food is making me feel like crap and the darkness is making me feel like crap and my creativity is evaporating and that makes me feel like crap. Day after day, I just feel less and less myself and more and more like the demon. It's gotten to the point where I can almost count on spending two weeks in February or March on the couch feeling like a waste of life. Like nothing I do is important and just wanting to eat and eat and eat until I fall asleep. It sucks. I hate it. The only way out is to break the cycle, to buy healthy food and refuse to eat the junk, to force myself into an exercise routine, to find a creative project I want to work on and get as far away from the event horizon of my depression as I possibly can. I don't know if the demon inside me is real or not, It certainly feels like something that I'm battling, something that's almost impossible to control at times. And when it truly takes hold, it can feel like I'm an entirely different person. So what if it was real? I have all sorts of bacteria living in my body. Would a little demon be so bad? I would certainly cast it out given the opportunity to be happy in the wintertime. But the side effects, for the most part, are pretty delicious. But not all demons present themselves in such relatively harmless ways. In in fact, I read an article that we'll get into a little bit later that said in 2018, exorcisms in the United States were on the rise, and not by a little. In fact, mental health issues in general are a huge issue with the pandemic and social distancing, and I'm, I'm not looking forward to finding out what my demon has in store for me this winter. But it could be worse. There could be an actual demonic entity inside me, breached through an emotional open doorway and latched onto my soul. Something truly evil that can only be cast out by the will of God and a moderately handsome priest. That's what we're talking about today. Demons. The little ones, the big ones, and some of the most famous ones.
Good evening, world, and welcome to Haunting Season. Hello! Good evening! How are you, birthday boy? Well, you're technically we're in December, so how was your birthday? Yeah, um, it was great. It was great. I drove to Sedona. Get out of here! <laughs> yeah, I uh, I had to work on my birthday, so um, we're 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 shooting this documentary, and uh, we've been shooting it for a long time. We had this great opportunity to interview someone really, you know, really really special, and so we drove up to Sedona. We all took separate cars. We stayed in a hotel room, and. Um, you know, all, all separate hotel rooms, and it was crazy. It was wearing the N95 mask and, like, cleaning everything. And then we shot in this guy's backyard and then drove home the next day. And then the day after that, so that was the 18th and the 19th, and then the 20th, um, I had another shoot that I had to do. It's been it's been crazy. Um, like, I'm very glad to not be wearing gloves and a mask right now. Wow. Okay, so wait. So you went from Sedona, and where was the other shoot at? Oh, it was just local. It was in L.A. Oh, okay, okay. What would you think of Sedonia? Uh, I have no idea. I, I like. I drove in. I slept. <laughs> I exited. It is gorgeous. That's my old like stomping grounds. Beautiful drive. I tried to as much as possible stop, you know, without losing too much time and take some film photography because that's you know my hobby. Yeah. When are we when are we gonna see that some of that uh, stuff you captured? I I have no idea. I since launching Haunting Season, I've had very little time to uh, mess with my own Instagram. No excuses, Joshua. Get on the ball. <laughs> Come on, buddy. All right. Tomorrow morning. 7 yes. Get on. On it. <laughs> You've got plenty of time now. You know, it's only the Christmas season as we, uh, we're we moving into the Christmas season now, right? No, already. But it feels like we've been going there since October, right? As soon as, like, Halloween ended, it was like... It was before Halloween. It was uh, t- very offensive. I always consider it the, the season of possession. Oh, yeah, like gift giving and all that stuff. Not, not possessions. Being possessed by the spirit holiday. Like okay. demonic possessions joshua (laughs) okay yeah sure i definitely see the link between demonic possession and the holiday is it because it's a christian holiday or what i don't even know it's it it is a christian holiday for sure right yeah i mean and there are other holidays around this time there's hanukkah there's kwanzaa there's uh, a bunch of other ones yes indeed i mean there is a dark side to the christmas holiday right i mean when you think about some of the films that like i watched gremlins just a few days ago that's a wonderful christmas movie in oh, my yeah. opinion you've got uh silent night deadly night oh mm. and then there's the one uh jack frost which is actually i think has something to do with like possession like this dude who's a killer possesses uh a, 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 a basically a snowman right yeah yeah and it kind of reminds me a little bit you remember those uh iced tea commercials where it was like the oh yeah you know I oh know yeah that's the yes. kool-aid man but you know like the crazy cold uh you know it was like claymation snowman thing i remember Yes, indeed. Indeed. Nestle iced tea, I think. You, you were talking about Sedona. I lived in Flagstaff, which is like elevation of 7,000 feet, which gets a lot of snow and it's freezing cold out there. And sometimes around this time of year, it's kind of spooky out there when you're walking at night and you're trudging like through s- snow and it's just dark and you're hearing yourself walk and you're just in the deep woods and then you stop and then you think you hear you know, some sort of movement, because it's super quiet. And I don't know if the snow does something where it makes everything just amplify. Also, days are days are shorter. Days are Sun's, shorter. The sun yeah, is I, down at, what, like 320 out here? Yeah, it's unbelievable. It, it feels, I know it's the same every year, pretty much. And then, and then every day until the solstice, you lose a minute of daylight. Sun goes down just a, a minute earlier every time. But it feels, it just, it feels like horrible 
feels horrible. Yeah, I, I kind of wanted to talk about that a little bit because I mentioned in the opening that this is like the season of seasonal depression, right? People get the sads. And I mentioned that I suffer from seasonal depression. I joked a little bit about the delicious side effects, but I actually want to call myself out on that a little bit because minimizing what I deal with in the wintertime, every winter is a defense mechanism. So it's me trying to say like, I know other people have it worse than me. And that's not a lie. Some people's depression can be like really consuming, but that doesn't mean that mine's not real and that mine also doesn't hurt. And so while Mental Health Awareness Month is technically May, I think, it's it's really something worth bringing up this time of year to remind people that uh, you're not alone. There are a lot of things this time of year that can be triggering for people. And so I just wanted to take a moment away from the fun to very seriously say if you're having dark thoughts, if you're at risk of hurting yourself or someone else, reach out and talk to somebody. And if you don't think you have someone, then call the National Suicide Prevention Line. Uh, we'll put the number in the description but you can call that line for any reason. You don't have to be on the verge of suicide. You know, if your thoughts are swirling and you can't escape the noise, if you're driving and you know you should pull over, but you want to kind of see what happens next, um, or if you just can't get off the couch and all you can think of is I'm worthless, it, call the lifeline. It's called a lifeline for a reason. It saved some of my friends' lives, and uh, the number is in the description again. Serious moment for a second, but I felt like it was important because I did make some jokes about it in the opening, but it is um, it is a real thing, and, you know, it takes some time to, to get over. Well said. Mark L. Abbott is this incredible author that we got on the show, and um, we talked about some really surprising things. I grew up on like the border of East Flatbush and Canarsie. So I, um, the area that I grew up in, mostly middle-class, it would almost mirror suburbia. The further in you go into Brooklyn, the more, the more houses you have, as opposed to going toward Manhattan, where everything is much more, you know, buildings and everything. And yeah, I grew up in an area where we had a mall. We, we had a strip mall, then we had the big mall, which is King's Plaza, where we always went on the weekends. And you'd find me either there or at the strip mall where the local twin movie theater was. And that was that was my haunt. I grew up across the bridge in New Jersey, or across mm -hmm. two bridges, I guess. Um, and I feel like we had like very specific urban legends in New Jersey, you know, like obviously the Jersey devil is a big one. Um, mm -hmm. Did you have any sort of like common urban legends growing up in the city? So interestingly enough, and it's not one that many people have heard of in my grandmother's neighborhood where I'm, where I'm living now, the kids used to talk about this woman called the ha ha lady, H A H A ha ha lady. And she was a modern witch it's likened to Hansel and Gretel that the kids would say that it was this one house where this woman would stand out after school. And if you happen to not be with a group of people and she would offer you candy and you tried to take it, she would drag you into the house. Now, what happened in the house, nobody could ever say. We never knew anybody that either escaped this woman or had any dealings with her, but it was just one of those. And it wasn't like a creepy old house. It was just, we ran, they randomly picked this one place that like, don't go over there because the haha -ha lady lives there. What was your upbringing as far as your family? Did, was, was there some sort of background in the supernatural or, or ghost stories or paranormal or there anything wasn't, like that? There wasn't, but my father, uh, he's the one that actually got me into horror. 
he, when, when I was growing up, he loved, I think he used to love to get a kick out of talking about movies I couldn't see and building up the suspense about them, but then I couldn't watch them. Like I remember very clearly when the, the year The Exorcist made its way to CBS, this was like a major, they were talking about this for weeks. And my father would always come and he goes, oh, The Exorcist is coming on on Sunday. And he's like, I remember going to see The Exorcist. And I'm like, what's The Exorcist? And he's like, no, 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 you can't watch that. And then he'd look at my mother and go, remember when a head spun around? Oh, come on, I gotta <laughs> see this. You can't say that to me. And he's like, no, no, no. But he loved universal horror films. And on Saturday nights here in New York on Channel 13, there was, it was like a, a horror host show. So my dad and I would every weekend, every Saturday night, we'd sit up and we would watch Dracula, Frankenstein, and we'd have these conversations about them. And then he got me, of course, every little little kid gets introduced to Godzilla. Mm. As time went on, he actually introduced, well, it was my mother who introduced me to the literary side of horror. Uh, Edgar Allan Poe, Stephen King, Dean Koontz, those kind of things. It kind of graduated. We went from universal horror films to science fiction horror. And then Halloween. And that's where he drew the line. It was like Halloween came on TV one year. We watched it together. He was like, yeah, not doing this. But I had gotten a bug. And at that point, now I had to watch Friday the 13th. I had to keep upping the ante. Of course, VHS was big at the time. It was the early, we're talking going into the early 80s and everything. So we go to video store. And unfortunately, I had to get him to get the movies because, you know, certain, certain stores didn't rent to, to under minors. 18 or yeah but if you knew the right if you were in the store on the right day with the right guy you could get the movie oh yeah he's yeah, like, yeah, he's, yeah. like <laughs> he's like looks around like which 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 friday the 13th do you want and it's like yeah i, I need three and four to finish this out okay go ahead and get them and you know my mother for her part it was mostly because she was a teacher so everything was was you know in the car, I need you to read a book. Both of my parents, I could say, they they knew how to amp up a story to convince me to sit down and either read or watch them. And, you know, to a certain degree, they were very supportive about it. My, my father, you know, once I started decorating the room with like, you know, the zombies eating people and posters and stuff then he was sort of like all right you know what i'm staying out of here did you have like aspire to be a a writer was this something in your in your mind like oh you know i'm gonna grow up and one day i'm gonna be i'm gonna tell these these stories there was a moment in time and i still there's still part of me that wants to do it i wanted to be a director i wanted to be a screenwriter and and write movies and but i've always loved writing you know writing has always been I, I used to get in trouble in school because I would, instead of paying attention in class, I was writing the great American novel in the back of the room, you know, and I, I there were moments where my, my father, we'd be at open school night and the teacher's going through all of this. And she goes, Oh, by the way, and she'd reach in the drawer and drop in front of him this, this marble notebook. And he's like, what's this? And she's like, that's your son's novel. That's the thing he's been writing 
um, while he's supposed to be paying attention in class. I'm reading the hooky party. Unless it goes like really dark here really soon, it <laughs> seems like it's a very like, you know, it's it, I mean, it's like upbeat. It's very it's I, I find it just like completely charming. And I, I as I'm reading this and getting prepared to talk to you tonight, I was like thinking, all right, is this like kind of somewhat takes place in the 90s? From what I remember, it's the 90s. Mm-hmm. Uh, is it semi-autobiographical? It's kind of a mashup of different things that happened in my childhood. Uh, the original story behind that, uh, one of my oldest friends and I was sitting out on the, on, on the porch one night just talking uh, about just reminiscing about all of the different things that happened. In fact, the the character in the story of Michael is my 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 really good friend. It's actually one of the first pieces of, of fiction that I wrote before I started really getting in because I always knew I wanted to do horror. But this story was one of those, it just kept speaking to me. And so it's, I wouldn't call it fully bi- autobiographical. Uh, a lot of the people, a lot of the key players are people that I knew or they are a combination of two or three different people rolled up into one character. And it was just something I really wanted to to, to do, to have fun with and, and just kind of experiment with, really. And it came out in uh, 2007? That was the very first book I self-published. Okay. Technically, I, I started, I had actually had my own self-publishing label for several years. And that book, I had been shopping it for almost a year or so, and I could not get anybody to bite. And I finally got fed up with it. I got fed up with the process. And then I sat down with my wife and I said, listen, I want to try something crazy here. I just want to know if you're okay with it. And I explained, I said, listen, I'm going to start my own publishing label. I'm going to publish this book myself. I'm going to do everything on my own. And she was like, you know, you know, go for it, you know. And the funny thing was the, all most of the rejection letters I got for that particular book most of the people were just like, I like the story. I love the characters. We have no idea who we'd market this to. And I'm like, well, they're, they're high school students. I mean, what, what, who else would you not market it to? But I guess the idea was that the characters were a little too urban and weren't mass marketable enough. And I was like, oh, okay. So went ahead, printed the books, went to the Brooklyn Book Fair, uh, that year, we took somewhere between 25 and 50 books and came home with two copies. Like literally, we, we like, literally almost cleaned out like every teenager that passed that table and read the back of that book was like, I got to get this. And they, and, they, and they ran off with it. And um, so I was like, oh, OK, so I do know my target audience. And, um, you know, I just I just kept it around after the, after that, you know, as I, I built. I think the thing was. I'd always planned at some point to revisit those characters. I have a couple of more stories that I want to get out of those guys, but I kind of started going in another direction and decided to to do the the horror thing. And that um, feedback, I guess I would call it, that you got from the publishing company of uh, your your books too urban was I can't imagine that's the last time you've heard that. There was a time I had written a uh, a movie. I written a script, and I had submitted it to an independent film company and the guys called me up and they said (laughs) the guy says to me he says um i really love the story but um i'm not sure 
how many African-Americans you've ever been around, but the guy in the story, he speaks really, really well, you know, and you need to like give him an edge. And I'm like, really? Hmm, that that's interesting. <laughs> and they actually scheduled a meeting with me to talk to me about it until they saw me. And that meeting abruptly was, you know, oh, we forgot we had something. I'm like, yeah, very busy. I'm, very, I'm, very I'm busy. sure I'm sure your your schedule is really busy right now. So, no, it's I've I've experienced it off and on over the years. I did a competition a few years ago where the story that I wrote, the question was the college campus that the story is set on. It was like, is it a, is it supposed to be a black college? And like literally everybody else in the room is like, why would you ask that? Like, they, <laughs> and, and like everybody's like, look at the guy, like, why would you ask that question? And he goes, no, I was just curious. And I was, and I, I'm laughing because I was like, well, no, not in my head, it's not. But I mean, you know, it's, um, you know, my characters tend to be. A, I try to write diverse characters in a lot of my work. Um, do you feel like things have started to change, or do you feel like, uh, you know, when it comes to writing and and hearing? you know, close-minded things like, you know, the characters are too urban or your characters aren't black enough. Do you feel like things are starting to change or do you think there's still like a, you know, systemic problem around that thinking? It's looking like it's changing. I can say that much with the advent of the Watchmen series mm. and then the Lovecraft Country, we're beginning to see, we're beginning to see a lot of our images in, in these works. A lot of it has to kind of build itself off of horrible situations in history using two different types of horror. You know, you have the fantasy horror and you have the real life horror kind of um, being meshed together. I, I, I'm thinking now that the voices, the voices are going to start to be heard a lot more. I picked up a book not too long ago called Dark Matter that came out back in 2000. It's an anthology of uh, horror, horror and science fiction stories told um, from the African diaspora. And I'd never seen this book before. I mean, I, I don't even remember hearing about it, but it's all of these wonderful horror and science fiction stories written by African-Americans that I didn't even know was out there. And I'm thinking now that with the advent of everything changing and the way people are reading, the way a lot of the conventions now are even changing how they give out awards, because a lot of the conventions have been getting in trouble over the years for overlooking, you know, African-American writers, both male and female, for their work. I'm hoping that we're going to start to see more of that, not only in science fiction and horror, but also in fantasy as well. Yeah, and you're you're no stranger to um, filmmaking either. You know, I had a camcorder in college, so I just shot, you know, wrote my own script, shot my own films. You know, that was that was the age of, you know, the indie filmmaker, and you know, you know, the guy who shot something on one hundred thirty dollars, and then he's got a forty million dollar movie deal, which. That never happened to me, but um, me neither. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, I I still dabbled in it uh, well after college, trying to basically tell tell my horror stories. You know, again, I love creature stories, so monster stories or ghost stories are always something that I wanted to try and do. And so then, uh, talking about that live show you just touched upon briefly. It was uh, called, if I'm not mistaken, Man, you, You've Got to Hear This. It was a very simple thing where 
you know, I would have a theme every month and people would get seven to 10 minutes to come and tell their true story. You know, they would send me the, the synopsis of the story. I'd read it, talk to them, get kind of get to know exactly what they wanted to do with it. And then I had a spot in Williamsburg that I used to go to where people would show up and then we'd all be in a back room on a stage and I'd host the show. I tried to stay off the stage as a storyteller and try to let the other storytellers, but let's say if somebody canceled at the last minute or something, I would step in and tell a story just to fill time. Some of the things people had stories about, just there were nights we would just sit, I would just sit there and just, there were no words. Like the audience is laughing, they're laughing harder at my reaction because I'm just like, I don't even know what to say to this right now. What's the craziest one you heard? I can never forget this one. Girl came in and told a story about how she was living with a girl who was stealing her used pads. To make tea? What was she doing? Making dolls. Oh my God. <laughs> this is real life? That's horrifying. I forgot how she said she found out, but I think she was storing them someplace and she stumbled, like the boy, her boyfriend stumbled across them and was like, what in the devil is this? And yeah. She was stitching dolls. Oh my with you. God. And I'm just sitting, I'm like literally sitting at the edge of the stage. She finishes and I didn't move. I'm just like staring at her and I'm like, that's, I know. I'm like, and that always, <laughs> that was like the one story that stuck with me. Did I read on your website that that, was, that the bar was precious metal? Yes, it was. Yeah, I, I met my wife uh, a couple blocks away. Um, we used to go to, into Three Diamond Door all okay. the time. Uh, and she lived over on Jefferson Street. And so we, mm -hmm. we lived in that neighborhood for a couple of years. It was awesome. Yeah, yeah we, we lost quite a few of our bars. Yeah. Since, yeah. Uh, in yeah. fact, the, um, the title of the anthology we did, Hell at the Way Station, uh, the way station closed uh, over the break. And we were just, that that literally was like, Everybody gathered in front of the bar and was like, had like a memorial. Like you would have thought like somebody actually died because it was probably one of the best. It was, it literally became a nerd bar by accident. It wasn't supposed to be. The guy just, he built a TARDIS as a bathroom inside the bar. And the next thing you know, you know, geekdom and, and fandom and everybody just flocked to this place. And it was it was our it was our second home. It was you know we talked to the guy who owned it, wrote the book about the place using using the place as the backdrop for it, and even had the 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 readings there and a, a huge event and everything for the book. So it uh, yeah we'll miss it. It's great that you were able to immortalize it though in the in the book, and and it's a book that did really well when the 2019 uh african-american literary award for best anthology short story collection and best science fiction what made it the special project at, at that time stephen van patten and i uh we're both members of the horror writers association and we had just gotten back from a convention in uh providence so we we're in the bar we're having drinks and i said to him i said you know what i've never seen I've never seen a horror anthology 
written like a horror anthology movie. You know, like you have that one story that tie and then all these little stories in between. And we just started talking about all of these little short stories that we had like sitting around that weren't doing anything. And I said, why don't we just, why don't we do that? Why don't we sit down and we put this anthology together? And we went home and I started crafting the, the wraparound story. And I sent it to him and then he added stuff to it. And then we started going through our library of, of, of short stories that just went nowhere and got them cleaned up. As far as we know, it's the first anthology of its kind written like that. My reaction before even getting into the story was like, my God, why doesn't everyone write anthologies like this? It's brilliant. I love that. Um, and throughout the whole thing, you've got like such a crazy array of different stories. There's like um, a mummified head and there's like the scariest movie theater experience of all time. There's a monster in the factory. There's killer yams from outer space. Where does the variety come from? It's usually something that inspires me. The yam story, which seems to be the one that disturbs most people who read that book, literally came from the fact that we had a we had a potato in our kitchen that started to spud. And it like, you know, you turn around one day, you're like, oh my God, what the, what, it why does it legs. look like that? <laughs> and, you know, you know, it was like, wow, you know what? This would make a, a really great science fiction story. Uh, the hardest part is being able to write something scary. I mean, we, a lot of people have just become desensitized, you know, so you have to kind of find the thing that you know, either frightens you and you know you can build on it to frighten other people or, you know, you try to go against the grain. The hard part is getting back to the essence and the thing that made us frightened when we were children. There are things in the world that scare the hell out of me that I haven't written stories about because they scare me and I don't know how to I really don't know how to get those stories out. Like what? Yeah, I was gonna say what 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 you're <laughs> what are they? So my greatest my greatest fear in life is cockroaches. Yes. Oh my gosh. I am frightened by these things. And um I even did a, a story one night uh one of the storytelling shows. I told a story about how one crawled up my pant leg while I was while I was cleaning while I was cleaning the kitchen floor and the just the you know my wife thought I was going to have an aneurysm the way <laughs> the way I carried on over this thing and I mean they've never done anything to me but it's just there's something there's something not right about something that small looking that horrific when I was in Atlanta for school I didn't nobody bothered to tell me they flew that, that was that was my worst nightmare. I ran across one that I tried to kill in the hallway and it took to the air. And that was it for me. I was just like, OK, that's no, no, this is this is extra. I can't do this. Yeah, they're definitely like regional because like we've got the, the standard kind of cockroach out here in California, which is like the little brown one. And it, you turn on the lights and they, they 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 take off. But like I grew up out in Arizona and there were like these I mean, it was like the size of my palm or my hand that were like these big black beetles and they would fly. <laughs> oh. Anyway, uh, moving on. Any upcoming projects or anything you want to plug here? And The sequel to Hell at the Way Station is coming out. It's called Hell at Brooklyn T. 
And we have a new writer on board with Stephen and I, Kirk Johnson. And it's this, it's almost a similar format. It picks up several hours after the first anthology ends. And it deals with us in a tea house having to deal with a new um, supernatural threat. We're hoping to have a December release date for it before the holidays. Uh, if not, it will probably be sometime early next year. Who is MarkLAbbott.com? That's the website. And then you can always follow me on Twitter. Who is Mark, Mark Abbott? Uh, for some reason, they didn't accept the L. So you can, <laughs> you can follow me there. And who is Mark L. Abbott on, on Facebook? Um, I'm always posting up new things, um, any anthologies that I'm going to be in. Yeah, that's where you can find me. That's great. And we'll put some links in the description below. Cool. Well, thanks so much. I appreciate you uh, coming on and talking to us about all this stuff. And um... <laughs> <laughs> this is a lot of fun, guys. I enjoyed this. Good. Thank yeah, you, Mark. Too. Thank you so much. Do you like the music in the show? Well, great news is coming your way. There's more of it. In fact, last month, North Innsbruck dropped a new album. It's called A Delicate Balance. And now it's available everywhere. Links in the description. So if you like the music we use here, go get lost in it for just a little while, but finish watching the show first. That was such an awesome conversation. I mean, just so many different directions. It was great just talking about all of it. For me, what stood out, I think, the most and, and was like the biggest learning experience for me as a writer was talking about their brilliant idea of taking an anthology and stringing it together with a story. So it's a bunch of stories strung together by a, a, a story. And it, it just was so cool that they wrote themselves as the characters and they wrote a bar that they love into the story yeah, and, and that common through thread was all about demons, and I kind of wanted to talk about that more, but because we had so many different things coming up that I wanted to talk about, we didn't quite get to it. Well, ask and you shall receive, Joshua. You ready to be possessed with some demon knowledge? I'm dropping it! Yes, hit me. Bring me to life. I sound like an Evanescence song. T tell me what you've learned. Okay, so I wanted to, I wanted to figure out, like, what, where did the word come from? I'm sure, you know, it's spoken in different languages, but the English, it comes from uh, uh, the Greeks, and it's spelled, it's like daemon, like D-A-I-M-O-N. Diamond. Diamond, yeah, that's probably how you say it. But to my surprise, I found it, it carries no negative, like, sort of connotation with it. It means you're like, it's divine inspiration. Yeah, it appears in the works of, like, Plato, and it describes the divine inspiration of Socrates. So is it like, uh, you know, like you start speaking tongues or you start like you get that divine inspiration and you're like, Satan. <laughs> I don't I don't think it's like that. It's got like a very like, oh, my gosh, I'm being possessed by this higher being. And I'm, I've got now extreme like intelligence. I can do math. I can spell. I can okay. walk and chew gum at the same time. I have got some sort of divine like that girl, like that girl I talked about in the uh, Karen Warren episode, who uh, when she sleeps she can do math. Yeah, exactly, exactly. She would be possessed by a daemon, 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 daemon. Okay. So that's that's like the Greek, and but I also wanted to kind of get into some of the uh, other ancient civilizations, and so one in particular was the Egyptians. So they have they are associated with only like two. There's the guardians, and then there's 
The Wanderers. Sounds like a young adult novel. It does. The Wanderers and the Guardians. So the Guardians are basically what they sound like. These are uh, Guardians. They're basically bouncers in the underworld. And what they're doing is making sure that no human souls can enter this divine place. If you're a human soul and you're trying to get to this netherworld, get the F out. They're gonna, these, these guardians are gonna kick you, kick you right out to the curb. So the, the first ghost hunt I went on with the Minnesota group um, was at Annie Wilder's house. And it used to be a halfway house for uh, ghosts. Well, it used to be a halfway house for women. So the story is that the guy who owned the house, his wife died, and then he wanted to help out women. Um, and it was, you know, during a time period where there wasn't much stuff like this out there. So he built all these tiny little rooms throughout the house so that the, he could rent them out as a, like low income apartments to women who lost their husbands. And so the story is that he stays there as the guardian, and he will let any spirit into the mudroom. But in order to let them into the house, he has to approve them. So he's like a guardian. And I never, I didn't know there was like an actual origin to that idea. Goes back to Egypt. Now, that seems pretty innocent. I mean, it just seems like a nice little, guard, you know, guardian is just like, hey, man, get the, get the F out of here. You're not, you're not allowed in here, you know? No, no and then also not going to beat the living crap out of you or possess your body or anything like that. It's just like a gentle, get, get out of here. You're not, you're not, you don't belong here yet. However, the wanderers, the wanderers? Oh, no. Bad news. They're associated okay. with possession, mental illness, death, and plagues. Okay? Holy now, many hell. are ex- they're hitmen. These guys can also be hitmen. Osiris and Ra are, will tell them, hey, put it, we're putting a hit out on uh, Billy Bob over there. They'll put it out. They are agents of chaos and led only by evil motivations. They can be uh, warded off with uh, magic, but they cannot cannot be destroyed this no longer sounds like a young adult novel this is very serious this is terrifying do you remember the mummy so i've actually been to egypt and while i was there i watched all the movies in my hotel room i want to i'm gonna have to rewatch the mummies now and see if any of these guardians or wanderers are in the script at all yeah be something to look into we'll be moving on now to a different location mesopotamia Mesopotamia. Is that in Italy? No, no. I think it's like the the, cres- <laughs> the crescent. I know it sounds like something you'd order from, uh, you know, say uh, Palermo's or something like that. Yeah, hey, Mas- give me like that the Mesopotamian platter. But I believe it's like ancient, like Middle East region. The the fertile crescent is that what they? Oh call yeah, it? yeah. This yeah. this is I found very interesting. This is where they believe in lots of demons, Se- and the underworld is home to several several demons. Now. I don't have a time, or we don't really have the time to go into every single demon and break them down. So I found two, like, very interesting. Uh, interesting, scary, and probably, you, you're probably familiar with one of these. The first the first one is, I'm going to butcher the name, is Lamachu. Lamachu? 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 She is a bad, she's a bad, she's a bad girl. She's a demonic goddess with the head of a lion teeth of a donkey she's got uh she's not wearing anything right here around the breast area she's got a hairy body hands free the nipple, stained, free the nipple way ahead of everything hands stained with blood long fingers fingernails the feet of anzu now if you don't know what anzu is he was a fire breathing bird uh she was believed to feed on the blood of human infants and blamed for miscarriages and sids anzu was or no, Anzu was just like another, he was another demon, but uh, Lamatsu was the one who is, she She loves baby blood. Wow. So she was blamed, 
back in the day as being the one uh, for blamed for miscarriages and also blamed for uh, what they called cot death, but was later turned out to be, you know, SIDS. Right, right, right. And then the next one we have here is Pazuzu. <gasps> Pazuzu. Yes! You real you, you recognize the name? It sounds familiar? Yeah, Bubsy from our, uh, yes! our live stream. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so this dude is a de- demonic god who is well known by the uh, Babylonians and the Assyrians. And this was throughout the first millennium BCE. That's before Common Era or before Christ, whatever. You know, Wait, what's the difference fancy. between BC and I, BCE? You know, there's well, there's some people that aren't Christian, so they 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 go, oh, I'm offended. I, you know, so that they oh. changed it and expanded it. So BCE means before Common Era. Cool. Yeah. So, but first millennium BCE. That's a long ass time ago. This guy's been around, and he is uh, shown with a canine face. Large, bulging eyes, a scaly body, and a snake-headed uh, willy. We'll just call we'll just call it a willy. We'll keep it PC. <laughs> snake-headed uh, trouser. There you go. Monster. Yes, the, the okay. trouser the trouser monster. It's penis. It's a medical term. It's penis. All right, pen fifteen. We'll say pen fifteen. Pen fifteen. Oh, great show. Okay, go on. The talons of a bird, and usually wings, and was regarded as extremely evil. But uh, get this, he wasn't all bad. He was also seen as a protector for, like, uh, pregnant women. They used to wear, like, a, a necklace with his head on it because they believed that he was the only one who could escort that baby-drinking blood lady goddess, demonic goddess, to the underworld. So oh. he was also seen as a protector of pregnant ladies. Oh, wow. So you, you've got both sides here. Indeed, yes. Yeah. So, it's like so he's not deal. all bad. He's not all bad. Yeah, no no one's all bad. Well, I guess you would assume demons are all bad. Uh, yeah, for sure. Except if you're Greek. Yeah, and making assumptions, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, so he, he definitely sounds familiar. I believe he was a trivia question on our Halloween night. Yeah, Pazuzu was the demon that was responsible for the exorcist. So what do you think? I mean, do you, uh, like, believe in this kind of stuff. I mean, with all these cases, like some of them, yeah, mental illness for sure. I mentioned right before we started recording, there's this article that came out in the Atlantic in 2018, and uh, it was saying exorcisms are on the rise. And it wasn't by a little bit, it was like by a lot. There was something like, you know, 10 exorcism priests in all of the United States, and then all of a sudden in 2018, they upped it to like 100 or something. You'll have to read the article. It's pretty easy to find. Um, but some of the things that stuck out in there were, it, it's more common people who are under a demonic possession to have been sexually abused in their past. And uh, it's easy to say that, oh, okay, it's a mental illness thing. Like, of course, they're they're dealing with tremendous trauma that we can't even imagine. And so they make up this idea of the demon. But that's not actually what is believed. What's believed is that that sort of trauma and any sort of like major, major horrific trauma like that opens up a wound in your soul that's a doorway for demonic possession. And there's only one other way of that happening other than just awful, awful trauma. And that's by an obsession with the occult. And so messing around, like, this is why I'm so afraid of Ouija boards. (laughs) Because messing around with that kind of stuff opens you up to it, right? And a lot of times on ghost hunts, you know, we talk to people who are like, I don't, I don't want to be sensitive. I don't want to see these things, you know, because they're dealing with a house haunting or something. And uh, the, the advice really is like, 
you have to close yourself off to it because the the fact that you believe in it, you know, it's like the boogeyman or like uh, Slender Man. The more you believe in it, the more susceptible you are to um, it actually affecting you. Which kind of like reminds me or like you've heard about that Amityville horror, like where the house where the kid just goes in and he kills uh, he killed he killed his whole family. The house goes up for sale, and this couple moves in, and they start noticing like the house is like completely possessed, and it's it's you know apparently in a demon. And that kid who killed his entire family was possessed by that demon. I wrote down a couple of like ways you know ways you know oh, that really? it's okay. a demonic possession and not just someone like faking it, right? Uh, facility and language not previously known. So if it's someone, you know, your little boy starts speaking Latin. Yes. Probably a demon. Uh, strength beyond age or condition. So I think aside from like that old, you know, story of the, the grandmother who could lift the car off of her, you know, daughter. Aside from that, if it's like a kid in a bedroom and he can like lift the bed over his head. Right. Or, or like levitation. Is that kind of one of them? Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, secret knowledge. So, like, you know, the priest comes from the parish to do the exorcism, and you know about the bad thing he did last weekend. Oh, wow. Okay. And uh, vehement aversion to God and holy things. So, hating crosses and holy water and all that. Interesting. Um, and so these, and, and then, so what kind of demons would these be? Would this be like Pazuzu, or is this like several kinds of demons that i don't know i guess it depends on um i get you know it, it's like anything paranormal we don't actually know about these things we have uh theories you know hypotheses you know i think in like christian culture demons are fallen angels right right i was gonna say that because i was doing like a little bit of research and i think with the christianity they were considered it's not it's not it's not satan but it's the his his fallen angels right yeah, well, even Satan himself was an angel. Oh, that's right. I forgot. I forgot that. Yeah, and and the statistic about the the sexual abuse apparently it's eighty percent of people seeking exorcisms are sexual abuse victims. Oh wow, that's and that's because like, that it's such a tremendous trauma that the the doorway is open. But have you ever felt like like possessed by anything or like? Something that was out, like you were like, I'm not usually thinking like this. Well, I'm, yeah, I mean, like we, we, you know, extreme exhaustion, or um, I mentioned in my opening about seasonal depression. Like it's some, sometimes you know, you get in a rut and you just don't feel like yourself, but never to the point of um, needing an exorcism. And in, in my life, what about you? Um, I think just probably like I would probably be more of like the Greek kind of thing. I remember when I used to do like per, like performances. Um, like in plays and stuff like that, uh, sometimes I would be like, I can't believe I did that. I felt like I was like possessed by something, you know, that wasn't me. Where it was like, I, I did that, you know, it was like outside of, I could have just been in a total zone, but I, that was probably the closest I've ever felt to being like. Sure. Yeah, I know. I know the zone. I know that feeling of like, oh man, what's my first line? What's my first line to... <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. And it's like, wait, what just happened? People are like, that was your best performance. And I'm like, well, I don't remember any of it. To wrap things up, I wrote a story about a demon in this. Uh, I brought this up in the live show and we gave one away for the, the ghost uh, naming contest. But I have a story called Paul's Rose in here. And for the Christmas scary story season, um, I'm going to sit and read it. I'm going to do kind of like a holiday special sort of because it's from the point of view of a female character and it's it's kind of a little bit third person 
you know? So it's a little off the beaten path of what I'm used to. It has a demon in it called Andras, which is a real demon that I did a bunch of research on. It's got the head of an owl. It is creepy and it makes it, it seeds discord between people. So it causes lots of conflict. Are you going to be reading this like online? Or are you going to be reading this on YouTube? Yeah, it's going to be, uh, they're going to be the, you know, the next two episodes. Okay, great. Yeah, we'll do part one and part two because it's a little long. Hunting Season was created by me, Joshua Sterling Bragg. It was produced by Greg Holdsman and Jessica Richmond and executive produced by Matt Gielen, Patrick James Lynch, and Ryan Gielen and is a joint production of Believe Limited and Matt Gielen. This episode was written and hosted by me, Cody Dugan, and Joshua Sterling Bragg. It was edited by Colby Crow, and all the music in this episode was made exclusively for the podcast by North Innsbruck. And another huge shout out to our guest again, Mark L. Abbott. If you like our show, please subscribe on your favorite platform. We have a video version of the show on YouTube and Facebook and audio versions wherever you listen to podcasts. Apple Pods, Spotify, Stitcher, what have you. Next week is a story episode and just in time for the holidays, I'm going to pick up my short story, Paul's Rose, and read it to you Christmas style. It'll be our, uh, you know, it's a holiday special, kind of. I don't know. Enjoy! Enjoy!